0: Welcome to the Broadcast Dialogue Podcast, the show all about the media industry in Canada.
1: Welcome to Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. I'm Connie Thiessen. This episode brought to you by Rumpel, the ultimate sales management app for the broadcast industry. Learn more at MomentumMediaNetworks.com. One of this year's Canadian Music Week panels brought together a cross-section of emerging broadcast talent to explore how to elevate young and diverse voices. CHUM FM morning host Jamar McNeil, KISS 1049 Vancouver's Kevin Lim and Sonia Sidhu, Missy Knott from 95.7 Element FM, Virgin Radio Toronto's Jack Irwin, and Flow 95.3 host Peter Cash came to share their stories of what it's like to be the other in a largely white male-dominated industry. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, we bring you highlights from that panel, moderated by Maureen Holloway, followed by special guest and broadcast executive Denise Donlan, who is known for her leadership in hiring diverse talent. Donlan says diverse hiring is not only morally right, it makes good business sense. To start things off, here's Flo's Peter Cash
2: you would think, like, I mean, I've been to Kitchener, I've been to Winnipeg, and, and probably the best experience of my life was in Winnipeg, but uh, I came back to Toronto, and I started working at the station, and the first day I came back, I guess when you hire somebody, I was working on an AC station in Winnipeg, and when you hire somebody named Peter Cash from Winnipeg, and you've never seen his face before, on an AC station, you don't assume it's a six foot three brown guy with tattoos. Um, so I walked in, and I was the first day, and I was trying to go get training. I walked in the studio, tried to open the door, and I remember a board op just putting his hand up, and he's like, no, this is not your station. Well, you don't belong here, you gotta go downstairs. So I went downstairs, I was like, okay, maybe the training board is downstairs, or whatever it is. I walked downstairs, and I guess they had another radio station downstairs at the time that was a diverse radio station, multicultural, and uh, there was a Punjabi guy on the radio, and he was going off, and I was, and I sort of looked at him, and I'm like, no, this is not where I need to be. My station, I need to go back upstairs. I'm, I'm not on a Punjabi radio station. So I came back upstairs, tried to open the door again, and then two other guys were there at the time. And both of them stood in front of the door, and were like, no, we just told you. You gotta go downstairs. This is not your station. And then I had to just tell him, hi, um, my name's Peter Cash. You guys just hired me, like, yesterday. Uh, and then he was like, oh, he was a board op, and, and I guess another person who was on air at the time. Uh, and he was like, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize it, we just, you know, we heard Peter and we assumed you were white. Ah. And that was that was the
0: experience I had. It's interesting talking about being a visible minority in a, in a business that doesn't require you to be visible, other than advertising. I mean, your voice on the air, you should be able to be anything you want to be without anybody distinguishing it, but names do give you away. I'm going to ask Kevin, who's... Uh, um, co- now, this is interesting because both you and Sonia co-host a show together. Mm-hmm. Both of you come from different backgrounds or other backgrounds. Is tell it me. obvious? It well, yeah, it, would, okay. it wouldn't be until we see you. Right. Except perhaps. But your names would would, uh, would certainly indicate that. But tell us about your experience, Kevin.
3: Well, I mean, in a way, it does... And it doesn't give us away because we, we only use our first names on the air uh, as a way to connect because when you call your best friend, you don't say, oh, hey, it's Maureen Holloway. You, you, it's mo. Yeah. Right? You, you introduce yourself by first name. So we, the brand of the show is Kevin Asani for a long time, and, uh, you know, when you listen to the show, if you were a new listener to a radio station and you could close your eyes and you were to listen to the voices on this panel over here, we have this incredible opportunity and a unique opportunity in, in, in the audio world where a lot of predispositions about, what certain people sound like and what certain people look like kind of go out the window it's our job just to, to connect as human beings first and then they go on social media and then they go on the websites and we drop the big bomb and them ah scotty i'm asian you thought i was white <laughs> which i get a lot and it's a weird thing yeah it's a weird thing like oh, i thought you were white i'm like thanks i don't know how to but it's, it's weird though because we you know somebody came up to me recently and, and is a co-worker who said that i I am, in their knowledge, the first full-time male Asian host on Vancouver radio that wasn't an, uh, on an ethnic station. Mm-hmm. And so I, at first I thought, cool, I'm gonna write this on my business card. Uh, then the other part of me thought, like, why Why is that? When, we, when you look on an HR form, we are visible minorities, but in Vancouver, we are the majority. Mm-hmm. So how is it possible that it's not until Recently, that I was the first person to represent such a huge population, and I don't represent all Asians. I'm I'm Canadian-born Singaporean, Uh, and you know my parents are immigrants. But there's a lot of people who are of Asian descent that that have a completely different story. I don't weave this in. I weave this into my personal story of what we share on the air, but it's not what defines me. But I also feel like there's, there's, I mean, sort of like what Peter said, I mean, there was nobody for me to sort of look up to in the industry, but I also took that very same approach of, of why not me? Okay, I mean, I never thought of the industry being predominantly white when I was growing up and listening to radio. I'm like, okay, I wanna do that, so I'm gonna do that. Um, and it's not until now, and especially being asked to be on this panel, that I go, wow, there really is a lack of certain diversity. And it's changing, which is great.
0: So is your mic working? I think so, yeah, right. it is. So I, I don't want to necessarily lump you guys together because you happen to be co-host, but you're sitting next to Kevin. So tell me about your experience.
4: Um, I think it was a little bit different. I, I remember with Kevin and I, we've been doing a morning show together for eight years. And I remember it was only two years ago that Kevin got his first, like maybe three years ago, you got your first hate email. And he was like, oh my God. And I'm like, what? Like three months into my radio career, I had a restraining order against a dude who would call in and would call me the C word all the time said like she can't understand normal thinking, she's a female on the radio, she should not be delivering the news, uh, this is inappropriate. to the point where I had to have an escort, like, I'm doing morning radio, it's like three, I'm 22 years old, I have no idea that this is happening and this is the world I'm in now. And I remember having to like call before I came to the station, someone had to walk me from my car to the building, the cops got involved, they're like, oh yeah, this person just doesn't like you because you're a female on the radio, and I was like, so weird because I've heard women on the radio so many times. But, I mean, it was one of those things that I think as, I'm, I don't know if like any other female can speak to this, I'm sure you can. Some of the messages that we get sometimes on a daily basis were very easy to attack. And it's not usually something based on our intelligence. It's based on our physical appearance. It's based on um, the hair. I remember when I started doing weather on a global network and there was an entire forum that was dedicated to picking me apart on every single thing that was wrong with me. And I'm only used to hearing that stuff from my mom, like, I don't like your hair. Today. <laughs> and I'm like, and I don't like your hair today. Like, that's what my mom says. But I was like, no, this is like next level. And so I remember, and Kevin was there for me, and I was like, dude, this is really tough. I don't know if I can do it. But I think and I get it because a lot of times we talk about whether or not we're proud to be who we are and we should really embrace that. But that freaking takes a lot of guts. That really does like you have to sit there and be strong and you have to be there and it's people like Kevin And it's been like my bosses and my mentors and stuff like that, That i like, no, you're fine it's, it's something to do with them They're upset with something else in the world that has nothing to do with who you are You just gotta keep being better, but that is an
3: ugly reality though that women like I could say the exact same thing on the air And she could say the same thing and yet she would be the one that would get people feel this this I don't know why, but but women have it so much harder when it comes to criticism, when it comes to people just feeling like they can say anything. And and that is the, the struggle that you deal with. I mean, I come from a, an ethnic background, sure, but I still come from a male background, which for some reason has given me a, a bit more of an advantage over you, even though the words that are coming out of her mouth is different. Or could be the same.
0: Okay, I'm gonna move on to Jax, and I guess some of you are wondering, what's Jax doing here? And the truth <laughs> is, she's a Maritimer, so. <laughs> Tell us how that's working out for you.
5: I mean, a couple of years later, and have a bad accent. Nobody likes me anymore. But um, I don't know if you guys can tell, but I'm um, gay, and um, I know that comes as a big shock to a lot of you. But, uh, I've been uh, I've been out for about 13 years. Um, I've been on air for nine years. So uh, I would say about 70% of that I've been out and proud on air. I started in Prince George, British Columbia, for my first full-time on-air job, which is Not the safest place to come out on air. It's a beautiful place, uh, incredible people, but uh, I did not feel safe to be out on air there. So that was a great place to start. Yeah. Yeah. You,
0: absolutely. Take courage. Unlike um, visible minorities, you had a choice. You had a choice that didn't have to be part of your personality, but obviously it was important (coughs) to share that.
5: Yeah, it's, um, that's kind of a complicated one because um, I do have a choice behind the mic, but once I'm off it, you know, doing remotes or anything like that, like whether or not you want to admit, like I, I look like a lesbian, I look like your stereotypical lesbian, I embrace the hell out of it. Like that's fantastic to me. I'm, you know, like I said, out and proud. But uh, you can hide behind the mic or you can you can come out and be transparent. And I chose like, all right, this is going to kind of go one of two ways. Uh, I'm going to, you know, be safe or I'm going to hide in the shadows. Um, so I think that coming out and embracing myself was really important, and we were talking about people who were out and proud before me, and I mean, I had Rosie O'Donnell, which, you know, things went different for her, <laughs> or Ellen DeGeneres, and things definitely didn't go well for her when she first came out in the, uh, in the 90s, so I didn't feel a lot of safety, especially in Prince George when I came out. So um, I, I know folks who are, who are gay on air who don't look, or, you know, lesbians who are more femme, and they do have a choice, but I was kind of like... You look the part, act the part, be proud, and, and kind of try to do something good with it,
0: so. Alright, Jamar, so you've been here, what, a year now?
6: Not even, I, I. it'll be a year at the end of July, so a couple okay. months still.
0: So I don't know whether to start asking about what it's like to be uh, coming from Chicago, yeah. where you were work, yeah. and working in Canada, or what your experience is as an African-American, just jump in anyway. Yeah,
6: you know, you know my whole experience is a total, excuse my language, total mindfuck, it's like crazy. Because my entire life, number one, I've, I've been in show business since I was a youth. Um, grow, I grew up in New York City. And um, you know I started out as a child actor. I, I did a lot of television commercials, tele, TV shows, did some theater. And then uh, eventually, later in my life, I got into radio. Um, and my entire life, you know, starting out as a young kid, I was always being judged. Now, I'm black, right? But what the hell does that really mean, really, when you think about it? What does it mean? I mean, of course, I'm of African descent. But, you know, one of my battles in my whole life has been trying to explain to people that there is no one black. You know, it's, it's not a homogenized, I mean, it's a homogenized term, but there's so many different types of black experiences. You have the guy that grew up in Brooklyn, and you have the guy that grew up in Kenya. And those two probably have not a lot in common, except, you know, maybe the hue of their skin. You got the guy that grew up in Texas, and you have the guy that grew up in me. And he would look at me and tell me, "I'm not black." And I'd look at him and be like, well, "How black are you? Like, what's a cowboy hat doing on your head?" You know. So it's like, it's really the labels are weird and kind of crazy, and they've always haunted me um, because my parents are from Jamaica. Um, I grew up in New York City with a very big Jamaican population, but also a, a very big Black American of Southern diaspora population, and our experiences are completely different. So, you know, growing up, I was always being told, oh, you're not black enough, you're not black enough. I'm like, no, I I live with parents that speak King's English. So I don't say y'all and ain't and things like that. And that's just my version of me, you know, my version of blackness. So growing up as a stage kid and, and, uh, you know, auditioning for commercials, I grew up in the 90s and I'm auditioning for show movies like Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. And I go like, hi, I'm Jamar McNeil. Like, nope, not black enough. Like, that's not gonna work. I literally had casting directors tell me, and I'm like, a little kid, and they're like, can you be a little more street? And I'm like, what does that mean? I grew up on a beach in Queens. Like, what street mean? Like, I grew up in a beach town in Queens. And then, like, a little more black, blacker. They're telling me a little kid this. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? So um, after a while, I started realizing like, hey, I'm part of a group that people don't recognize I'm part of. And then back in my own neighborhood, you know, around kids that might not have been West Indian, who didn't have the same experience, they're telling me, the black people tell me I'm not black either, so when the white people tell me I'm not black, the black people tell me I'm not black, what the hell am I? Um, this went on my whole life, um, and I just got to a point where I decided, listen, I'm gonna just going to define myself, and it, it was a really weird thing for a young person, I remember distinctly as a young kid, saying, I got a choice here, everyone's judging me, how do you feel about yourself? And, you know, with the help of my mother and, you know, just, I guess, some divine wisdom, I said, I really feel good about myself and I'm going to just be me. And, and whether, you know, the African-Americans accept me or whether the Jamaicans don't accept me for not growing up on the island, you know, my whole life, or whether the white people don't accept me because I'm not white, I don't care. I'm me and, you know, my experience is very unique. And I've actually weaved that into my radio career because uh, all the little nuances that are myself, you know, kid from New York who's traveled the whole country, who grew up in a West Indian household, who snowboards, plays soccer, who also uh, scuba dives, plays lacrosse. These are all things that I use as part of my radio personality. And I think my secret sauce, if there is such a thing, is that there is, I don't think that anyone on earth like me. And if you want me, you got me, but you got to get me. If you want something like me, you're not going to find it. And that's how I really positioned myself.
0: Okay, Missy, our new girl, our new woman, uh, six months in the business. And now you're working for Element and in Ottawa, Ottawa. so is that this is the station an indigenous station and if so what does that mean? We're a mainstream station with
7: eight different genres but our special like sauce is indigenous music and that's really the reason I got into it was because a lot of my career started as a musician and I never really had a platform to kind of like build my career off of and I wanted the youth in my community because I did a lot of mentoring and work with my music side of the business in a small town, Peterborough, just east of here. Um, And there wasn't really, like, I still can't believe that First Peoples Radio exists right now. Like, I'm just so happy it's off the ground and it's launched and we have APTN to kind of, like, guide us through what we're trying to build. And we're still so fresh that um, I don't even think Indigenous artists even know we're here yet, you know? And we're going to just strive to build a platform so we can put those thousand artists up next to artists that are top 40s that are, you know, we'll play Pink Floyd and then we'll play Midnight Shine.
0: Right. So it's not Susan Aguilar all day long.
7: Not all day long. <laughs> no. I mean, it's a treat when she gets late, of course. But yeah, it's, uh, it's about putting artists up against these people that are, have really built their careers.
0: We're going to eventually take questions. Uh, but I've got one that I want to throw out to the group, but again, this has nothing to do with visible minorities, but rather passing. So, and I think you may have all run into people in this business, and I'm including you, Denise, in this question, who don't want to be open about their otherness. Um, in some cases, you can't hide it, but particularly if you're, you know, this is, we we're talking to Jacks about being gay and being openly gay. What do you, sometimes What do you say to people like that, who, who I think live in fear? of the repercussions. I mean, how do you feel? Anybody? Everybody?
4: I feel like we live, I think with radio, and what we've learned, especially with all the panels, is being your authentic self is something that people can, like we live in a world now also where there's filters on everything, but on the radio, you can hear when someone is BSing and when someone is passionate about what they are. And for me, it's not up to me to decide, hey, you know what, Uh, you should be really comfortable with talking about this, that's not up to me. But for me, I knew that when I was younger, yeah, I was filtered completely. I remember going to school and being like, mom, you can't send me with roti or this for lunch because all the other kids are gonna make fun of me. And I had to like befriend a a white kid and be like, how do you make a ham sandwich? Because we've never had one and I don't wanna get looked at weird. But now I look at my nieces and nephews and they are totally okay with taking Indian food to school because it's so much more effective. Like it's more accepted, right? So, I mean, I see that we're making some progress with that. And I think it is seeing the mainstream of it, right? But it's not up to me to decide if someone wants to fight that battle. But I'm going to do what I can to fight for the people that don't feel like they have that voice right now. I just, yeah, I,
5: I think that's safety first and foremost because I know a lot of um, queer people don't feel safe to come out, right? And that's, it's very dangerous, especially in the world that we live in. Um, when I first started on radio, I remember like wishing, like when I was still going to NSCC, like wishing I had longer hair, wishing I didn't, you know, wasn't more comfortable dressing as butch and wishing all these things and wishing that I could pass. Um, and kind of like you said, it's, it's not up to me to say who should and, and shouldn't speak openly about their sexuality or their orientation or, or if they're a POC or, or, or anything like that. But it's up to me to use the fact that, you know, I'm out and proud about it to give them a little bit of support and love on that, on that journey, because it's a dangerous place.
3: And there's a lot of people who, I mean, we live in a world that racism and prejudice still exists, but, but when you listen to the radio and you can't see what we look like, we have the opportunity to encourage a conversation that, you know, we are all human, we are all bonded with a shared experience. And to understand that the person that you're relating to maybe not necessarily what you thought a typical East Asian would would sound like or talk like or or would act like, I think there's a learning experience in that as well. The more we have these diverse voices to go like, this is Canada, like this this is who we are as a nation, and you know, taking back to your your thought of you know just hiding at one point who you were at school and now it's celebrated like we're, we're taking huge strides in, in, in where we are now but i think you know when we can connect on a human level and open up to some people open some people's eyes to like okay this is look this is we are you know
4: because you want to be represented i think whenever like why do you watch the shows that you watch why do you go to certain things right you feel like a connection with it and that's what you want to see. I want to hear that my voice is being represented and my opinion is being represented when I'm watching a talk show, when I'm listening to the radio, or that I feel that I can call up or text in or message them and say, hey, that's how I feel. But I don't feel like anyone's telling my point of view because I feel like it's all,
3: you know.
2: But I got to be honest, like 10 years ago, when I first started in radio, I was Peter Cash and whatever. I was, I was on the air, but... Uh, I didn't tell anybody that I was brown. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not telling everybody I'm a brown guy on the radio. I wouldn't say, like now I'm openly telling everybody, hey, I'm a Guyanese guy on the radio. And I use that as part of my show now. Uh, before, it was something I never used to say, and I used to get jobs, I believe, because I sounded like a white guy. It's like, okay, your name's Peter. You sound like a white guy. All right, we'll put you on the air. Nobody can see you. And this is like right before Instagram, so nobody's really going to look at the website and look at your face and see what you look like. So we're good to hire you in Winnipeg. We're good to hire you in Kitchener. And uh, now it's, it's so different. So now I'm able to say who I am. I feel like I'm able to say who I am. I think, uh, me personally,
6: I'm really big on like not labeling people. I know that sounds really corny and like uh, soft, but I th- I'm, I'm one of the biggest defenders of white people. And I'll tell you why. Because I don't even know what that means. Like, what does it mean? Like. A white guy could be Al Pacino or Robert, Roger Ashby. And they're very different, you know what I'm saying? You know, so like, so what does that even mean? So, like, when people always tell me, oh, man, you got this job in Canada, you work with these white people, I'm like, yo, they're all very different people. Like, so what is does white, that, like, Tom is, like, uh, from, I think he's uh, from one of the Slavic nations, and Serbian, right? And, and it's just like, there's differences, even amongst what they call so-called white people. So I just love to just let people tell their own freaking story. You define you. I'm not gonna define you. You tell me who you are and I will go on that. That's how I like to, so I, I define myself. Let me tell you who I am. And I would say to people who are programmers or programmers or people, you know, powers to be, let talent and let people define themselves and you can decide if you can work with that or not. But the labels are just a thing that we do in society because it's just like how it works. I, I really, in my mind, every day say fuck that shit, like whatever, I'm who, who I am. But you know, let the talent define themselves and then work with that.
8: Does the industry have a diversity problem in 2019? I think not only the industry has a diversity problem, but Canada has a diversity problem. You know, when Canada is one of the most diverse countries in the world, Toronto in particular, um, and yet when it comes to diverse hiring, we're still lagging. When it comes to uh, women, Right, we're we're it's a market fail out there. You know, we're still looking at 16 percent of TSX boards. We're still looking at, you know, four percent of Forbes CEOs are women. We actually went backwards, um, so we we actually have to push it forward and. You know, I have found b- both from a, you know, it's not just the right thing to do, it makes great business sense, and there is a mountain of evidence that will support that it makes good business sense to hire and promote and support women, and to reflect the community that you serve. If you're a media operation, or if you're selling a commodity, right, the more you understand your customer in all their, their rainbow hues and glory, uh, the better your business is going to. be. So you've come up with a list of pointers for hiring managers. Do you want to talk about those? So I I sort of noodled this. and This is by no means comprehensive or that well thought. (laughs) But I was just thinking about uh, the panel this morning and how to improve workplace culture for women and diversity. So first of all, if you want to be the person that's going to take that on, you build the business case. As I said, there's a ton of evidence that say that um, you know, hiring women, supporting women, and building diversity within your company makes good business sense. It improves you know, your profit uh, margins, your opportunity to, to innovate. There's just your brand awareness. It goes on and on. So you can be the champion of inclusion and, and diversity. There's all kinds of ways to do that, particularly in making sure that you're expanding the applicant pool and making sure that the people that you're going to board for a job are diverse and have some gender equality uh, too. I mean, meritocracy, sure, at the end of the day, but let's get people up to uh, the point where they can be considered. A company needs to commit to pay equity, to enlist senior executives to own it, and to make it public so we know where the gaps are and we can work on it. Invite management to be allies and co-conspirators. Especially when you give them that great business case, they're going to want to own it, and they're going to want to help you to champion that. The other thing is... What gets measured gets done. So you need as a company to set uh, targets and track it against how well you're doing, where you need to do better, etc. Mentor and promote. Uh, Enforce strong HR policies and procedures uh, within the company. Offer a flexible workplace and then donate and activate and engage. I, th- I think ultimately, you know, if you're looking to build a very strong talent pool and you're looking to hire, you know, the best and the brightest, and, and particularly the, the young multitaskers out there who are digitally skilled, etc. There are studies that show that young millennials are actually making sure that the companies that they want to apply to are the ones that have uh, excellent standards in this regard. So, I mean, I could go on forever, but I just know that there's both the moral right to do it and the business case to do it.
1: Canadian broadcasters are notoriously risk-averse, and I think there were a couple points brought up uh, in particular by uh, you know, Sonia Sidhu and Jamar in reference to being authentic and letting the talent define itself. Do you think there is enough of that happening in the, in the wider space?
8: I think it can always move faster. Change is always slow. It feels like change is slow and then suddenly it's fast, Right. So, I think that, um, you know, media companies are going to make decisions based on the audiences they serve. Um, You know, as I said on the panel at CBC Radio, you listen to the morning show in Toronto and it's going to sound very different from the morning show in Prince George or Iqaluit or Gander Grand Falls. But understanding what the demographic of your audience is and then ensuring that you reflect it in the people that you hire and in the way you tell stories and the way you cast those players in those stories on air is going to make a huge difference. Anything else you want to add? The last thing I think I would say is that, you know, Canada has an opportunity to be a huge leader in this regard. It will help us on an innovation front, on a GDP front, and just on a, on a, on a cultural front. And, you know, there's so many polarizing elements that are happening in the world today with xenophobia and racism and all the rest. So I say to Canada and to Canada business leaders, if not us, who?